0: This morning, as we began the lesson, I told you that I had been rummaging through some old resources and I found some material from Brother Phil Sanders. And the title of it was Can We All Understand the Bible Alike? And I used that as kind of an inspiration or a very rough outline to flesh out this sermon as it was, these two sermons today and this morning we explained how and why contrary to public opinion and people's excuses as to why they don't study the bible that the bible is meant to be understood by all that's one of the reasons that Jesus came was to give us an understanding 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20 despite public opinion the bible was not Designed to say different things to different people. It's not the way it's designed at all And as we covered this morning Therefore it is critically important to understand that the Bible means exactly and precisely what every single word of it says Just as Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 This morning we also saw how the New Testaments one faith, one doctrine, and one savior. It was for all people, in all times, and in all cultures. And how sincerity alone, sincerity alone, is repeatedly shown to never be enough to get one into heaven. If we want to go to heaven, we must continue to study to show ourselves approved unto God. 2 Timothy 2:15. Sincerity alone is not enough. If we want to be sure we're going to heaven, we must study, obey, and abide in the Word in order to be set free from sin and death and error. John eight thirty one through 47 and Second Peter three: fourteen and eighteen. If we want to go to heaven, sincerity alone is not enough. We must continue to study and gain an even greater understanding as we go on in this life in order to be guaranteed our entrance into heaven. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 11. These are all things that we saw this morning. However, one of the popular beliefs cited at the beginning of this morning's sermon, which we did not fully deal with this morning, was the statement and excuse that some make saying you can make the bible say anything you want it to one idea that seems to keep floating around is take a passage of scripture and read it to a group of people and there'll be as many interpretations of that passage as there are people in that room we proved the latter part of that is not true this morning right however we never fully dealt with the first part of it You can make the Bible say anything you want it to. How many of you have heard that? Raise your hand. I'll tell you right up front. You really can't. You really, honestly, cannot. In reality, you can't make the Bible say anything other than what it actually does. In reality, you only have two choices. You can actually either accept what the Bible says in all of its fullness, in all of its harmony, and all of its perfection. Or, number two, if you are one of either those untaught or unstable people, and I use those terms only because the Apostle Peter did in 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. If you're one of those who wants to twist or pervert the meaning of a text in order to fit your own agenda or understanding, that's the only other option. But if you do that, then you're not really changing what the Bible says. What you're doing is denying what it says and coming up with something other than what it says. You're still not changing it. It still says what it says. For example... If you go on to www.billygraham.org, under their questions and answers, I believe, they seek to address this question. Is baptism essential for salvation? This is their answer. Quote, to one who has received Christ, baptism is a necessary and meaningful experience. You may know that we urge immediate and extensive Bible study for each convert. As the scripture is reviewed, the place of baptism will surely be discovered. Now, I got to thinking about that. So, unquote, by the way. So, what you do is, you tell somebody they're saved. Because they believe or say some prayer that's never once seen in the scripture. You call them a convert at that point, even though the scripture doesn't. You tell them that now they're converted, now that they've been saved, they need to really study their Bible's hard. And in the course of that Bible study, they're going to find out what baptism's all about. Well, what happens when they read 1 Peter 3.21? Baptism now saves you, and they already think they're saved. Problem. Billy Graham.org goes on to say, If baptism were a requirement for salvation, we would certainly say that. But you couldn't support that knowing, for example, that the thief on the cross had no opportunity for baptism or church membership. Now, of course, the thief on the cross had no opportunity for baptism or church membership. Of course he didn't. Because he lived and died under the old covenant. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 15 through 17. Under the old covenant they didn't have to be baptized. He lived and died over a month before the new covenant ever came, was explained by Peter and the church was opened up. You know, that would be like saying, my great grandparents, they, they never had an opportunity to use a cell phone. Well, of course they didn't. They died before cell phones happened. Duh. Well, the thief on the cross died before baptism was a required prerequisite to salvation. The thief on the cross died before the church ever came into existence, just like some of our great-grandparents died before cell phones ever came into existence. Of course he didn't have an opportunity for church membership. But my point is this, question. In their answer, did they make the Bible say what they wanted it to? No, they simply rejected what it said. They didn't make the Bible, they didn't change what the Bible actually says. They just denied it. They denied what the Bible says in clear, simple, black and white book chapter and verse texts. Like Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16, 1 Peter 3.21, we know the list, right? They just simply threw all those verses out. They didn't change them, they just denied them. I want to show you in Scripture. Open your Bibles up to the book of Psalms. Would you Psalm 119 to begin? I want to show you why you cannot actually make the Bible say anything other than what it really does. I want to show you why only the unstable and unlearned or untaught would even try to twist or pervert it. I want to show you how those that do so, in reality, still don't change what it says. They just reject it. Psalm 119, verse 160. To begin with, The entirety of your word is truth the entire sum of God's word is truth now what that means is is that every verse and every text fits beautifully into this overall portrait like a picture puzzle that God has made. Every piece. When you take out a piece, you've got a hole in the picture. Or when you take a piece from another puzzle and try to make it fit in the hole that, that this one was designed. It doesn't work. It messes things up. The entire, so when you start saying, well, baptism, thief on the cross wasn't baptized. So, you know, baptism is, is not a requirement. Do you know how many other parts of that picture that messes up? that messes up so many other verses but yet the psalmist says that the entirety of God's word or the sum of God's word depending on your translation the whole thing is an entire picture is truth and then he says and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever was the Bible written for just one specific people or place or time no Bible repeatedly says that it's forever it's a forever thing so you can't make it say what you want it to Because you can't disrupt the picture God has given us. Let me give you another reason. If you're talking to somebody and you say, well, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to. Check this out. Psalm 19. Drop back 100 Psalms. Psalm 19. I want you to see something. Psalm 19. Let's look at verses 1 through 6 to begin with. David writes in Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament firmament shows his handiwork. six verses of psalm 19 are telling you the unchangeableness of god the creator and what he created in this physical universe okay the way the sun works how many of you how many of you can disrupt the sun's path waiting for show of hands here you can't you cannot mess with what God has done. God has set up the stars. He set up the earth a certain distance from the sun. The, the circuit of the sun. God, God has established all of this in creation and how it all works. And we cannot mess with the sun's circuit. We cannot make it something other than God made it. Right? But then, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is... Per- Stop. Have you ever wondered why this psalm is set up this way? I have a theory, I don't know. But in the first six verses, he talks about the, the, the heavens and how they declare the glory of God. We cannot, we cannot make the stars arrange themselves differently. We don't have the power to mess with the sun's circuit and do the things, mess with what God's made. And then he goes right into in the next few verses talking about the word. Do you see the connection? God the Creator made the physical realm and we can't touch it. We cannot mess with what God has created for all of that I've talked about. And then he goes right into talking about God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You know what the message is? God's word. Was, was put together by the same God who put together the sun and the moon and the stars and we can't mess with their trajectory we can't, we can't fool with how they interact or that's all beyond our capability when he goes in then to talking about the spiritual things that God created it's the same creator guess what, you can't change what the word of God says you have two options you can deny that the sun is up there in the sky if you want but that doesn't change it You can deny that God made this universe, but that doesn't change the fact that He did. You can deny what the Word of God says, but that doesn't change the Word of God. That's the point. In Psalm 119, verse 89, yes, I'm taking you back up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. The New King James says, Forever, there again, it's not just for a certain culture or time or place, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven the English Standard Version says that your word is forever firmly fixed like concrete it doesn't say like concrete but that's what it means your word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens do you see that in your Bible see Psalm 119 verse 89 forever firmly fixed it's set in the heavens let me ask you a question can we affect can we touch can we mess with stuff in heaven Can we? Do we have the capability? I'm going to mess with what God's got set up up there. Can't do it. Matter of fact, Jesus said we couldn't. Matthew 6, please turn there. The Bible is full of this message that those things that are in heaven are beyond our ability to tamper with, to mess with. Matthew chapter 6. verses 19 and 20, Jesus used the same idea here. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Peter would write in 1 Peter 1 and verse 4 that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Can we mess with the things that are set up in heaven. Can we mess with them? No. Guess what? Psalm 119 verse 89. God's word is settled in heaven. The next time somebody says you can make God's word say whatever you want it to no you can't. You can't mess with that which is set in stone in heaven. You can't. You can either accept it or you can deny it. But you can't change it and make it something other than what it is. Peter, as we talked about this morning in 1 Peter, if you'd turn there, chapter 1. Just to underscore this before we move on, 1 Peter 1. Verse 23 talks about how we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. We're going to die. Hello. We're going to get old. We're going to leave this plant. Unless the Lord comes back, as I said this morning. All of us in these earthly shells are these earthly shells our bodies are going to decay they're going to get old as probably too many of us already know they're going to get old they're going to decay and eventually we're going to shed them they're not they're not meant to last forever the way that they are constructed as the, as the flower of the grass falls and withers away, that's who we are. But, verse 25, the word of the Lord endures forever. For us to say, we have the power to change the word of God, to make it say whatever we want it to, No, we don't. We're just little here for a moment vapors. But the word of God is forever settled. It is eternal. That's the end of it. So no, we can't change it. We can't make it say something other than it does. So... Having covered all that we have today of those statements, many of them this morning and that one tonight, and having exposed these man-made myths and deceptions for the lies and distortions that they truly are, then here's the question for the rest of the evening. Why is it then? that people do still differ in their understanding of Scripture. After all we've covered today, why is it if it's meant for us to understand and all understand the same and we can't change it, we can't mess with it, it says what it says and it means what it means and every word of it's true and all of it together is true. If all of that's true, then why is it that people still do differ in their understanding of Scripture? Why do they still differ in their understanding of something that was perfectly designed and intended and instituted by God the Creator to be understood and accepted and obeyed by all of those who were created in His image so they could be of the same mind? Why? Brother Phil Sanders sought to answer that very question with the following 11 responses. This is why he said, despite all of those things, people still see Scripture differently. I'm going to give you 11 of them with the Scripture verses that go with them. He said the number one reason that people still differ is laziness. Some do not study. They assume what they think the Bible should say based on poor knowledge. 2 Peter three sixteen through 18 Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10, and Hosea 4, 6. They assume what they think the Bible should say based on poor knowledge. Hey, I want to live this way, so, I, you know, the Bible, it must say in there somewhere that this is okay. How many people have you known that have gone to the Bible and said, I want to do this, now I've got to go find a place where God says it's okay for me to do this. The way we should go after Bible study is to say, what does God want? I'm going to change my life because He's Lord and I'm going to to make my life fit what what God wants. But all too many people say, well man, this must be all right. You know, my parents practiced it or my next door neighbor practiced it and I've got to find a scripture that will give me the justification to do this. Laziness. Number two. (laughs) Wishful thinking. Brother Sanders said... Some want it to say something so badly, they assume it does say it, and they reject other views. Did you catch that? Some want it to say something so badly, they assume it does say it, and reject other views. This is especially true of doctrines surrounding salvation. Here are some verses 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, and Matthew 7, 21 through 23. How many times have we encountered somebody we've been studying with and they just—they—they they want to believe so badly because dear mom and dad or grandparents or somebody else that they want to believe so badly that prayer of faith has just got to be there in the scriptures. It's just got to be. It's just got to be. And you try to show them that it's not and they don't want to hear it because of wishful thinking. They want to believe it so badly they just assume it says that and they reject anything to the contrary. Wishful thinking. Number three, personal prejudice. Some hold the doctrine because they have been taught it. The Pharisees held to the tradition of their fathers and put it before the law or Jesus. John 7, 47 through 49. John again, 9, 28 through 34. Particularly, Mark 7, 1 through 13 they hold the doctrine because that's what they've been taught you know there's a contingent in our own brotherhood of what we refer to as aunties or one cuppers in many cases and when you really get in there and you explore that doctrine it can be shown that the scripture does not absolutely insist upon nor command one cup but they've been taught it so long just a personal prejudice number four another reason That some today still differ in their understanding of Scripture. Number four, Phil Sanders says they are unteachable because of pride. Unteachable because of pride. He says some are unwilling to admit they are wrong and they are therefore unapproachable. Actually, the way it's printed is some are unwilling to admit they are wrong and are unapproachable. You can't you can't go tell them because they're just simply not going to listen. You know the scriptures that go with that are second Peter 2, 10 through 20. Proverbs 18, 1 and two. And First Timothy 6, three through five. Take a look at Proverbs 18 for just a minute, would you please? Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. This is a big one. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise Judgment. That's somebody that's unteachable because of pride, unwilling to admit they're wrong and you can't approach them. They rage against all wise judgment. Doesn't matter what you say. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. That's a big one. Another one, number five, emotional bias. Some hold such a love for a teacher that they not consider that their mentor could possibly be wrong. I.E. some have preacheritis. That's true. I came to the point with an early mentor of mine that I had to confront him on a a very life-altering situation. And I held that man in very high respect prior to that, but what he went off to do was biblically wrong, and I had to work against him with that. There was only one Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 13, Paul tells the church there in Corinth, there should be no divisions among them. Some were saying, hey, I'm of Peter, and another, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul. Folks, there's only one Jesus Christ some today will look at some of these old-time preachers and say you know i'm going to stake everything i believe on this one particular guy i just love what he says so you know what that's great make sure that what he said is biblical because just because he has a certain name does not mean that everything he said was hundred percent right only jesus was hundred percent right i'm certainly not hundred percent right and i'll tell you right up front check out everything i say according to scripture Emotional bias is why some people do not see the Bible saying, well, so and so said. Yeah, but what did Jesus say? The next one, number six, vested interest. Some teach what they are paid to teach, whether it is right or not. Scripture references. Titus 1, 10 through 1, 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4, and 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. I had one of you last week was talking to me out here in the foyer, been to a funeral, and the question was asked of me and kind of incredulously: how is it that you go to a funeral and some preachers can talk about how this person that passed away went to be with the Lord when they never spent a day in church their entire lives. How many of you bumped into that one, right? That's pretty common, right? And so you said to me, though that one one brother said to me, How is that even possible? It's pretty easy. Vested interest. Funerals are not meant for those who have passed away. Funerals are meant for the living left behind, to begin with. And so, if you tell those sitting there in the audience what they want to hear, that makes people feel really good. And if they feel really good, they might even come back to church. They might even become contributors. You might get paid more if you tell everybody what they want to hear. That's why. Oh, brother, so-and-so went you know—went on to be with the Lord. Never opened a Bible, never went to church, thought Jesus was just some long-haired hippie in the first century. But oh, they went to be with the Lord, you know. No, they didn't. Not if they did not have a right relationship with Jesus Christ, they didn't. It doesn't matter what the preacher says at your funeral. What matters is what Jesus says at the throne. Bested interest. The next one. Why some people do not agree on scripture. They're dishonest. Some have no integrity or regard for the truth, so they handle the Bible dishonestly. 1 Timothy 4, 1-5. 2 Peter 2, 1-3. through Which says, in their greed they will exploit you. The King James Version uses the phrase, damnable heresies. And it's all out of greed, 2 Peter 2, 1-3. through The next one faulty logic some people do not reason correctly they may miss the point they may reach conclusions before they get all the facts hello what do you see held up at the ball game john 316 john 316 and i mean no irreverence toward john 316 but if your entire theology and salvation is based on john 316 you're probably going to wind up like those people in matthew seven twenty one through 23 because the Bible says that if you believe there are certain things you got to do, you need to believe what the Bible says, and you need to do them. But if you don't have all the facts, if you don't ever study Bible, well, I just, you know what? I know, because I used to be there, by the way. All you got to do is believe. John 3.16, all you got to do is believe. Good, man, I don't have to study my Bible, I don't have to go to church, I don't have to stop, you know, drinking and beating my wife, as long as I believe, everything's good, you know? No, I didn't do that. You just saying. But this, this belief only, that is people not having all the facts. They've reached a conclusion that they're saved just by believing before they get all the facts. Scriptures for that are 2 Peter 3.16. Mark 6, 14-16. By the way, that passage, Mark 6, 14-16 is where Herod thought that Um, thought that Jesus was John the Baptist, resurrected. He didn't have all of his facts, okay? So he made a very faulty conclusion. The next one. Number nine. Lack of thoroughness. Many people do not fully explore a subject before they form a doctrine in their mind. This is why we have to study with people. This is why we have to have a consistent study that continues on. Because many people do not fully explore a subject before they form a doctrine in their mind. If all I know is John 3.16 and Romans 10.9 and 10. And that's all I've ever studied and that's all I know. Then I'm going to believe that just by believing I'm saved. I'm going to have a faulty... Why do you think I spend so much time putting so many scripture references in these sermons? Why do you think when we have a study on Revelation it takes six weeks to get warmed up? Why do you think... Six months, maybe. Why do you think that? Here's why. Because we need to explore a subject fully before we form a doctrine or an understanding in our mind of that topic. Brother Sanders says there is a difference between a truth... And the whole truth, John 7, 40 through 44, and Matthew 22, 23 through 33. You know, speaking of Matthew 22, 23 through 33, that's where Sadducees come to him with the question about the woman who's married to this guy and he dies and he's got seven brothers and she marries all of them, and they say, therefore, at the resurrection, you know, whose whose wife will will she be? What does Jesus say to him? You're wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. You've, you've for, formed this, this straw man argument. You have absolutely no clue, apparently, what the scriptures say for what does he say? For in heaven they are neither married nor given in marriage, but are as the angels. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. You've, you've formed this this question and this straw man without any clue of knowing all the facts. Lack of thoroughness. Number 10. Regard for human authority. Some favor a teacher, a commentary, a church council, or a creed book over plain Bible truths. Matthew fifteen one through 4 Galatians 1, 6-9. In John 12, 48, which as we know says that it is God's word which will judge us all in the last day. Hey, you're not going to be judged by a commentary by your favorite preacher. You're not going to be judged by me. I got my own problems, okay? You're not going to be judged by what the televangelist says. You're not going to be judged by any of those things. You are going to be judged based on the word of God. John 12, in verse 48. Now... If, going back to our original scenario here, can we all understand the Bible alike? Consider this. God, if, 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 if God is going to judge us based on the word, which he said he is in John 12, 48. But none of us can understand that word at all, and we all understand it completely differently then God is a very cruel God because he set us up to fail does that sound like your God does that sound like your God? that ain't my God that ain't the God I read about in the Scriptures. he doesn't say hey what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give my son for you cuz I love you so much I'm gonna have him crucified for you I've got this plan even before the foundation of the world I know you're gonna mess up I know you're gonna sin I know Satan's gonna get to you so I got this plan and i'm going to send my son i'm going to have this eternal purpose and i'm going to accomplish it in christ jesus ephesians 3 8 through 11 and i love you so much that i'm going to give my only begotten son to bleed and to die to be tortured to be scourged to have that crown of thorns beat into his head for you and your sins i'm going to do that for you but then here's the crown and touch on that i'm going to give you instructions that none of you can understand I'm going to give you instructions that are so unclear, so messed up, that there's no way on this planet you can all come to the same mind, which, by the way, I'm commanding you to do in six different places in the New Testament. We saw those this morning. And then I'm going to judge you on that which you cannot understand. That would be a very cruel God. Does that sound like your God? That ain't my God. We must never favor teacher commentary church council or creed book over what God's word says. Finally, number 11, why we do not all see, the scriptures the same. Self deception. How many times does the New Testament say, "Do not be deceived"? First one that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 15:33, "Do not be deceived." Bad company corrupts good morals. Do not be deceived. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. He goes through that whole list of people who are not going to heaven. The homosexuals and the adulterers and all of those people in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not be deceived, he says. He tells us throughout the New Testament, let no one deceive you with empty words like he tells us in Ephesians 5. The reason that a lot of people don't see the Bible the same is their own self-deception. When they select their beliefs, I'm sorry, people... have their beliefs and they have filters to keep out those things they don't want to believe that's self-deception they have filters in place they've made up their mind and if god himself come down in front of them and said you're wrong they wouldn't listen that is self-deception phil sanders says if one tells himself a lie long enough and loudly enough he'll eventually believe himself 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. One of my favorite questions of all time. If you call a horse's tail a leg, how many legs does a horse have? I love that question. Think about it. If you call a horse's tail a leg, how many legs does a horse have? Answer. Four. Why? Because no matter what you call his tail, he's still only got four legs. Do not deceive yourself into thinking that a horse, if you call his tail his leg, has five legs. Do not deceive yourself into thinking something other than what God said in the way God set up both the physical and the spiritual universe. In answer to our question today with these two lessons... Can we all understand the Bible alike? Can we? The answer is a big, round, sound, resounding, absolutely. That's the way God designed it. And if we ain't doing it, the fault lies not with God. The fault lies not with His Word, the fault lies with us. God in His perfection perfectly and divinely designed and delivered His Word to us for one overall reason. We've talked about it all day, here it is in a sentence. So that all men, no matter their education, their nationality, their religion their sinfulness, or anything else, so that all men, no matter any of those things, could come to know and understand and obey His truth and be saved. That's why God gave us the Bible. That's why it says in Acts 17, 30 and 31, hey, there's no excuse. No excuse. 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4 and 2 Peter 3 9 both say that God desires all men to come to repentance, to come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires all of us to come to the knowledge of the truth, every one of us, and to come to repentance. But how can we do that if we can't understand the Bible? God says, I'm going to set you up to fail. No. God said, I'm going to set you up to win it all. I'm going to give my son and then I'm going to give you very plain, simple instructions. If you'll just humble your heart, if you throw out what all of these momentary vapors, these men say, and you just simply get into my word and you read it and you study, it, it will guarantee you an entrance into heaven. This is how you win. It's very simple. Just follow my word. You can all understand it. You can all understand it alike. You can all become of the same mind. You can all get on the same page. You can all get on the same straight and narrow path. And you can all come home to be in heaven with me. If you'll just submit yourself to what I told you to do. It's that simple. God is so good. The only time that we can't or don't understand it all alike. Is when someone refuses to open their eyes, their ears, their hearts and their minds. And... Refuse to simply learn, accept, and obey what God says in simple black and white. That's it, that's it. There are many passages that tell us this. A couple of them, John eight, thirty-one through forty-seven and Ephesians four, seventeen through nineteen. The lessons are yours tonight. As you talk to people and study with people, You're going to hear some of these things as to why they don't study. I'll tell you, I think one of the main reasons that people don't open their Bibles out there in the world is it looks so overwhelming and there has been so much misteaching and it's so confusing. Brethren, we need to help them to understand that the Bible is written so they can understand it. Because one of Satan's biggest lies is that it's not. God loves you so much he wants you to understand every word of what he said and it's not that difficult. If I can stand before you every Sunday with a high school education. I never went to college. I drove tractor trailer for over 20 years. God didn't just zap me on the head. But if you allow me, you actually pay me to do this. You allow me to stand in front of you each Sunday and tell you what God's word says and explain it. Brethren, let me tell you something. If it were not fairly simple and easy to understand, this guy from Maine wouldn't be doing it. The lessons are yours if you are here tonight. You've not obeyed the gospel. It's really simple. God says that you've got to hear the gospel, that you've got to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You've got to be willing to confess Him before men. You've got to be willing to repent of your sins and turn your life to Him. And you've got to be willing to be baptized, to bury that old man of sin in the watery grave of baptism, Romans 6, 3 and 4, despite what BillyGraham.org says. okay, It says that that's what saves us. That's where we call on the name of the Lord, Acts 22, 16. It's not difficult. It's not hard. And if anybody that we talk to thinks it's hard to understand that, if they get rid of all the man-made stuff, it's not that difficult to get. God wrote it so we could understand it. And then we need to rise to walk a different way. We, we've changed our direction. We've repented. We've turned toward God. We're not walking toward sin anymore. We've, we've turned around and we're walking toward God. And so we rise to walk in newness of life and we stay faithful and we keep our focus on God and we keep on studying. Bulletin article next week is already written and it's all about those people that don't come to Bible study. We keep on studying. Anyway, message is yours. If you have a need to be baptized tonight or for the prayers of the church, please make your way to the front as we stand to encourage you with this song.